0: I'm going to try to just get right into it, because I think I put too much content in this, so I need to get through it. But uh, I really want to get to the end of it here. But um, So uh, we're going to be looking at what Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 have to say about good works, about how we are created unto good works. And I'm going to start with... Uh, actually, I'm going to start with reading just verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. Then we'll go back through this. It says, For we are his workmanship... Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained, that we should walk in them. Let's go ahead and pray. Ask the Lord's blessing before we go any further. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of looking at your word. We pray that you would just help me now as I preach. Help me to have uh, clarity of mind and uh, to be able to communicate this message effectively. pray help us all to listen and to learn. And we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this, Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2 are, is an incredible passage of scripture, and I apologize that you have to hear me attempt to expound on this this morning, because there are others who could do quite a bit better, but there are some incredible truths here that we're going to try to go through, and so this, for me, studying this is how this started, um, on, I was studying the topic of good works, of good works the Bible, let's say about good works, then I came across Ephesians 1 and 2, I'm like, Oh, wow, there's a lot here. I need to I need to look at this. So, um, starting off with Ephesians 2.10 there, the Bible tells us that we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. God created us to be creatures for good works. And we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to go through this and kind of build back up to Ephesians 2 and verse 10 and see what this is talking about. God, now, Ephesians 2.10 is specifically talking about um, you know, our believer's new nature that is created in Christ. When someone accepts Christ as their Savior, they are made a new creature, as the Bible tells us. And that new nature, this is created for the purpose of doing good works. And we're going to see that good works is what our purpose is. Good works, as we're going to see defined as we go through this, is walking in holiness and without blame before God in love. And we'll see how it explains how we do this, As our very existence is to display... The excellency of God's attributes, of God's glory, of who God is. And we do that through good works. Okay, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Let me start in verse 3. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Okay, stopping right there first. God has a purpose and plan for us. Okay, this is talking about God's, God's intention for human beings, as it were. He had chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. God's desire, God's plan, God's purpose for you, for me, is to be holy and without blame. Holy, to be clean, pure, wholesome, a life without disappointment, a life without negative consequences. Blameless before God this is this is God's purpose God's desire for us in love this is in love not not something that's forced, something that's done out of love living before God in holiness and blame and our out of our love. look at verses 11 and twelve we're going to be jumping back and forth all through Ephesians one and two kind of putting a picture together here look at verses eleven and twelve. It says, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. So this is, talk, this is talking about our purpose here, what God has chosen our purpose to be. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. That first part, that we should be to the praise of his glory. So our inheritance, our possession. That what God wants to give us, the purpose that God has for you, wants to give you and me, wants to give every person, person that, the purpose that God has for you is that you should be to the praise of His glory, if I was to say this another way, kind of defining each of the words, is that our existence should display the excellency of God's glory. Your very existence, your very life, your very purpose should be to put on full display the glory of of God. The glory of God. That is what you were created for. Now, let's define God's glory. Uh, this is a, this, it's kind of a, that's a big phrase It just said, you know, that your existence is to display the glory of God. Uh, let, let's just define what we're talking about here a little bit. Go to uh, Exodus chapter 33 and 34. I don't know about you, but when I go, when I when I read passages like, Ephesians chapter 1, you know, and I read a phrase like, we obtain an inheritance that we should be to the praise of his glory. I was like, oh wow, that sounds really nice. <laughs> that sounds really ethereal and deep and that's great. What in the world does that mean? Well, we're going to define it. We're going to get very specific so we understand this is, not, this is very solid stuff. This is not at all some kind of mystical, unreachable goal that we're talking about here. Not at all. And uh, this all has to do, actually, with with salvation, with the gospel. Okay, let's go to Exodus chapter thirty-three. Um, let me start in verse eighteen and nineteen. This is this is Moses. This is God speaking to Moses. Moses speaking to God. This is after, very shortly after Moses was on Mount Sinai. The children of Israel had made the the, the golden calf. And they've gone into sin, and God comes down, or Moses comes down from mountain and he breaks the commandments, and God, uh, you know, he casts judgment on the Israelites, and then he tells Moses, well, listen, I'm not, my presence shall not go with you, In verse 14, I, but I will give thee rest. But, okay, so it, Moses having this conversation with God, verse 18, Moses says, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he says, God, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Let's go over to uh, chapter 34, a few verses here, verse 5, 6, and 7. So Moses asked God to see his glory. And so God's going to show him his glory. And in 19, he says, I'm going to make my goodness pass before He defines his glory as his goodness. And look at 34, verses 5, Here it says, And the Lord descended in the cloud, and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the, of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. Okay, so in these verses here, we see God's glory defined here, God himself defining what his glory is. Moses asked God, "What is your? show me thy glory, I want to see it. And so God shows it to him. And what he shows him is goodness. His mercy, His grace, His long suffering, His abundant goodness in truth. This is how God defines His glory here in this passage. This is things that, God's, that God delights in. We looked at a verse in Sunday school this morning talking about how God delights in showing mercy. So we are to display this glory, to reflect it. God's goodness, God's mercy, God's grace, long suffering, abundant goodness in truth. Does your life reflect that glory of God? Is that what your life shows to those others? That is your purpose. That is what you are to do, is to show God's goodness, God's mercy, God's grace, God's long-suffering, his abundant truth to others. That is what your purpose is. Does your life put God's goodness on display for others to see? In Matthew 5.16, Christ talked about this. And I should have wrote this one down because I can't quote it off my head. I'll just read it real quick. Matthew five sixteen says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Okay, so we're going to see how this ties into good works, as we read in Ephesians two ten. But Christ here he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is, this is a theme that we see throughout Scripture, that our good works how we when we when we follow after good works what that means is to display God's glory God's goodness God's mercy God's long suffering God's truth to show others the attributes of God show others who God is by how you live that is good works that is how you Reflect God's glory. That is how you live a life that is to the praise of the glory of God. That's how you put that on display. God has chosen us to exist. Our very being. And that verse we read in verse 10 is that we should be to the praise of the glory. That means your existence should be to the praise of glory of God's grace, to show his glory, to reflect God's glory. Much like the creatures and objects around God's throne. If you read depictions of God's throne, such, like, such as Isaiah chapter 6 or in Ezekiel or in Revelation chapter 4, the objects and the creatures that are around God's throne, their sole purpose is to literally reflect the brightness of the glory of God. And that's kind of a different aspect of the glory of God as is, is, Physical brightness, as it were, but that's part of his holiness, and holiness is part of all these attributes. But um, even I'm even reminded of, of in Ezekiel 28, uh, several verses there. It tells us about even Lucifer himself, the anointed cherub, his original person. It describes his how God created him, full of these precious stones and and, and, and gemstones and these 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 uh, items that were meant to reflect the glory of God. And also his music. He was created with musical instruments and musical ability to show God's glory. Lucifer, that was his original purpose, too. Similar to ours. As we are to reflect God's glory, so was Lucifer to reflect God's glory. But what happened with Lucifer? He rebelled. He rebelled. He had pride come up in his heart. And, um, and he rebelled. Now... Um, in order to do this, this requires holiness. Let me uh, flip back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, which we read there. Uh, it says, "...according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love." It's, it describes it as holy without blame in verse 4. Verse 12, it says that we should be to the praise of his glory. In verse 10 you know, it, it, of chapter 2, it says that we should uh, be unto good works that we are before ordained. So this is God's plan for mankind in general to reflect God's glory, to, to, to display God's goodness, God's mercy, God's glory, and all that. This is what we are made to do, but we can't. We have a problem. Just like Lucifer, we have rebelled against God and can no longer uh, reflect God's glory. We have rebelled against God's plan for us. This plan, in verse four, in verse twelve, in two, verse ten, we have rebelled against this plan and I do. see. Let me explain it here a little bit. God has expressed His holiness. In the law. So God says, okay, you are to walk in holiness and without blame before me. And here's how I'm going to express this holiness is the Ten Commandments, the law. Um, Romans 7 verse 12 says, Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. You can think of Psalm 19, Brother Mitchell preached on last week. Psalm 119, there's many passages that describe the law of God as God's holiness. God has expressed his holiness in the law in the Ten Commandments. And um, so, obviously, if in order to live a holy life, you must obey those commandments. Now, there is a curse associated with the law. As Galatians 3.10 tells us, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed it is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So God has given us his holiness written in the law. And that law that he's given us comes with a curse. And all those who, as Galatians 3.10 says, continue not in all things written in the book of the law to do them, are cursed. So, if you cannot continue in every part of the law, perfectly fulfill every part of the law, you are cursed. You have a curse on you. And what is this curse? Well, all throughout Scripture, starting with Genesis 2, verse 17, with the first commandment given, the curse is death. The The curse is death. Uh, Genesis 2.17 says, But of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat thereof. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. This is the first commandment given to man. And it's given right along with the curse of death. That It is, it is pointed out from the very first law ever given to Adam and Eve. Romans 7.10 says, In the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Wherever you find God's law, you find death. The curse of death. That is the the consequence of disobeying God's law. Death, of course, is separation from God. Spiritual separation from God in this life. and eternal, physical, and spiritual separation from God in the next. Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the adulterers and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We will be judged by God's law. And if found guilty, we will suffer eternal death. The Bible describes it clearly. Here's the law. Here's here's my holiness. It's in the law. Your purpose is to follow this law. is to walk in holiness without blame and love before me. You can't do it. We all have broken God's law. We all, have, we all have sinned, as the Bible clearly teaches us. And the, curse of that, the result of that sin is the curse of death, of eternal death. We are dead in sins and cannot live in holiness. And without blame to the glory of God, we are dead. We are enemies. The Bible describes us as dead in sins. It describes us as enemies of God. His just wrath is set out to be poured on us because of our transgression, because of our transgression against him. God is holy and just. He must punish sin. So we have this problem. There is the plan given in verse four. Let's go back let's read verse four, Ephesians one verse four again. It says, "According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So here's the first plan mentioned in verse four. Here's our purpose. We can't do it because of our sin. We are, we, are, we are stuck, just as Lucifer who rebelled against God and no longer reflects God's glory. So we cannot fulfill this purpose in that. We are now enemies with God. We are dead in our sins. But now let's read verse 5. Verse 5 says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Okay, so now there is another plan mentioned here. There's another plan mentioned. That so again, from before the foundation of the world, okay, so um, you know why what is this talking about? Why is it talking about adoption? Why is this talking about Jesus Christ? Why is it talking now? Of course, I imagine that probably most everyone here is uh, is uh, is familiar with the gospel and you're you're putting the dots together. you know where I'm going, but if not i look, I look forward to explaining this to you here, and uh, we'll see as what, this second plan is what this is talking about so there are two plans here, in this second plan, this is something that God really wants to do. Verse five this is according to the good pleasure of His will. This is something that God delights in. Verse six, is to the praise of his glory of his, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the beloved. So this plan is going to emphasize God's grace. This plan having to do with adopting of children by Jesus Christ to God. But something he really wants to do. is something that's going to be the praise of glory. It's going to emphasize his grace. Grace is unmerited favor, right? Something that you get that you don't deserve. Something that God gives us that we don't deserve. There are two or three key words in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. Grace is a big one. You find it repeated over and over again. You've got to understand grace. Unmerited favor. Something you are given that you do not deserve. You're not getting it because of anything that you did to deserve it. And this plan, apparently, is what makes us accepted in the Beloved. According to the end of verse 6. Wherein, He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. What's the Beloved talking about? It's talking about the Beloved Son of God. It's referring back to Jesus Christ. The Beloved Son. Look at verse 7. In whom referring back to Jesus Christ, we have redemption. Okay, stop right there. Here's There's the this plan being explained here a little bit. Redemption. This is a plan of redemption. This is the plan of redemption. So we have been given our purpose to live holy and without blame before God, to live this wonderful life that shows God's goodness and His excellence and His mercy to all others. We messed it up. We rebelled. Now we have a curse on us. Now we are separated from God. We no longer belong to God. We no longer are his children. Even though we are his creation. You know, that's when the, the verse 5 there is talking about the adoption of children. We're God's creation, but we're not his children if we're in sin. We have rebelled against him. But God wants to restore his original purpose. In verse 4, that God messed up. That, that, that we messed up. So, he's got a second plan. A plan of redemption. There is a plan of redemption. There is an opportunity for the first plan to be restored. There is a way for your life to fulfill the reason why you were created. There is a plan of redemption. There is a way to do it. And it's not something, it's something that that emphasizes God's grace. It's not something that you could do on your own. It's not something that you could earn. It is something that has to do with the grace of God, but there is a plan of redemption. You know, we mentioned Lucifer a little bit ago. There is no plan of redemption for Lucifer, for the angels that fell, that rebelled against God. The scripture is very clear about that. They have no plan of redemption. They have no hope. But in God... Like I said, it's going to emphasize God's grace. God's love is another word that's going to be emphasized in these next uh, in these couple of chapters here. This plan of redemption is not something that God has to do. God is forced to do it. it's something of His grace. It's something of His love. He didn't offer it to Lucifer and the angels, but He's going to offer to us a plan of redemption. This redemption is God buying us back. So we are no longer separated from him and putting us back on track to fulfill our original purpose. We'll go back to verse 7. It says, in whom we have redemption, next three words, through his blood. This is the price of redemption. Who's the his? Who's this talking about? This is still referring back to Jesus Christ, of course. So redemption I mean the very word means to purchase to purchase something back indicating there is a price something has to be paid and what is the price of our redemption it is blood it is specifically his blood the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ God the son the beloved son as it mentioned in verse 6 and man I don't have time this morning to You weave in John chapter 17 into this passage, and it will just blow your mind. So later, go read John 17 along with this and with the relationship between the Father and the Son and what's happening here. But um, So God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, would have to become flesh and blood and physically die, physically shed his blood to pay for our redemption. This is how he can redeem us back. This is how he can institute a second plan of redemption and restore the first plan of our original purpose. is through the shedding of the blood of the Son of God. And here we have redemption through his blood. This is the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Our rebellion against God can be forgiven. Why can it be forgiven? Because our sins were paid for by Christ's death. Uh, Romans 5 6, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We also read another verse in Sunday school this morning. Book of Micah chapter 7, they talk about how the works of the Messiah, what the Messiah came to do was to take our, was to subdue our iniquities and to cast our sins into the depths of the sea. He came to remove your sin, your rebellion against God. And how does he do that? Through his blood. Through his, he had to pay for it to physically pay for it with his own life with his own blood this is God's plan of redemption this is how we are restored to to our to our purpose look at Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 12 sorry verse 12 let me read a few verses here Ephesians 2 verse 12 it says that at, at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. So this is your condition in sin, prior to redemption, okay? This is our condition, prior to redemption, without God, separated from God, dead. There are other passages which we will look at, of course, in verse 1 of 2, it says, we are dead in trespasses and in, in sin. So we are dead, we are without God in the world. Verse 13 says, but now, in Christ Jesus... Who Ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Here we are again. This is how we are made nigh. This is how we restored. This is the reconciliation part of the gospel. This is how our relationship with Christ is restored. Our relationship with God the Father, rather, is restored through Christ by the blood of Christ. We have it here again. Christ had to shed his perfect blood for our redemption, for our restoration. Verse 14 says, For he is our peace who has made both who has who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity look at this abolished in his flesh the enmity even the law of commandments contained in ordinance..." For to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So he seeks to make peace. He is our peace. How can, he give us our, how can he give us peace? It's because of his death. He abolished the law of the the enmity that is through the law of the commandments. The law is our enemy. The law, it's, 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 if you look at it that way, it's, it's, Paul St. Paul also describes this in the book of Romans as well. How Okay, the, the law is what condemns us. It's the holiness of God. I cannot be with God. I am separated from God because of the law. Because I cannot follow the law. I have the curse. Galatians chapter 3, there's a curse associated with the law. What does Christ's death do? What does the shedding of his blood do? He abolishes the enemy of the law of the commandments. It's gone. He takes it away through his death. So there would be nothing that can stand in the way between you and God. You and your relationship with God. Between you and your purpose. Your purpose of having that relationship with God And living a life that's holy without blame before him. And praise to to the praise of his glory. And um, he mentions being our peace. In verse verse 16, I think I stopped there. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off, and to them which were nigh. For through him... We both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now, in the context Ephesians chapter two, he's getting into more um, practical applications of the church and how the church is to work together as one body. And uh, so that's where kind of what he's talking about between the, the two and one. But um, but again, this is talking about the gospel of Christ, how, when Christ's death, He shed His blood on the cross, He brings us peace with God. Galatians three thirteen tells us. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Here again, the plan of redemption. Galatians 3.10 teaches us that curses is everyone that continueth not on all things that are written in the law. Galatians 3.13 says, But Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree." Christ was made the curse for you. The curse that is on the law, that, that curse that is part of the law that is on you, that curse of death, Christ physically became that curse of death and paid for your sin on the cross to give you redemption, to restore you to your purpose, to your plan, to restore you to God the Father, to your Creator. This is what Christ did. One day, we will stand before God and be judged by the law of God that we have broken. Then the curse of the law will take its full effect. And you will be condemned forever in eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. How do you escape this curse? Well, we just started talking about that here. Oh, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for you. There's another step. No, Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Just as Galatians 3.13 tells us, Christ became a curse. Second Corinthians 5.21 tells us, Christ became our sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. But there's a very, 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 very important part brought out in Ephesians 1 and 2 that you must understand. Um, if I go back to verse 7... Let me 1 verse 7 again. It says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. We have grace mentioned again here. This is unmerited favor, not something you can do to deserve. So Christ has died for your sins. He has literally become that curse. He has paid the penalty. The wages of sin is death. Christ has paid those wages for you. How do you apply that to you so that your curse can be taken care of? so that you can have the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5 so So you can stand before God at Judgment Day and be perfect and be innocent. It is something that emphasizes God's grace. You can, there, is, there is no good works that you can do to, to earn this. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, we've already read this one once, so let me read it again. It says, that we should be to the praise of his glory, second part of the verse who first trusted in Christ. Here's our first clue here in Ephesians chapter 1 of how to be that person that the plan of redemption has been applied to your life and you can live to the praise of God's glory. Trust in Christ. Trust. Key word. Verse 13. In whom ye also trusted. There's that word again. After that ye heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that, ye believed. Very important word. goes right along with trust. Trust and believe. Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise that comes after salvation. So these people to whom Paul is addressing, they have this plan of redemption applied to their life. He's speaking to them in the past tense as if they already have been redeemed. These are people who have trusted In Christ. Who have believed the gospel. So they heard the word of truth. Just like we're hearing right now this morning. We're hearing the truth of the gospel. Of salvation. What did they do? What was their response when they heard it? They trusted in it. They believed it. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Well known verses here. It says, for by grace are ye saved. How do you receive salvation? The salvation from your sin, from the penalty has come, it's by grace, you know, this is emphasized, unmerited favor, something you get that you do not deserve, through faith. Same idea as trust and believe. It's, it's, it's so simple and easy, sometimes it's hard to, to grasp. <laughs> but, but it's not. It's um, just faith, just trusting in God. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Again, as emphasized here, nothing you can do. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works. Now, we're called to good works. Those good works are not going to save you from hell. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You simply trust and believe in what Christ. You place your faith in what Christ did on the cross. You call out to God. You tell God, God, I am a sinner. I deserve to go to hell, but I believe. That the Lord Jesus Christ shed His blood to pay for my sins, and you trust only in what Christ did on the cross to save you. That's it. Just like if you jump out of an airplane and you have a parachute on your back, you're not going to flap your wings and try to stay up in the air. You're just going to pull the string. Let the parachute take you down. (laughs) You just trust in Christ. Christ did that. I trust only in Christ. Only. That's the key. There is. It's not. You know, not like oh, let me try to trust Christ really hard and maybe I'll trust him enough to where it'll work no it's you trust only in Christ it's like no I'm not going to trust in Christ and my baptism or and my good works and my church or whatever no I just it's just Christ that's what he did I that's enough for me I believe in Christ that's it then you will have the plan of redemption applied to your life now let's get into the exciting part of this chapter how do you know this will work how do you know that this will work? How do you know that this is good enough? Well, one, I mean, we have just briefly here, at the end of verse 13, which we read, says, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Well, one, uh, well, verse 14, read which is the earnest of our inheritance uh, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So one, when we receive Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God the third person of the Trinity, literally comes in you and dwells you. It seals you. It keeps you. So you cannot, you cannot ever again be away from God. You cannot ever again be dead. You cannot ever again be without God, as verse 12 said. You can never again be separated from God. Because God is literally in you, with you, forever. Sealing you. And he calls this his purchased possession. You know, until the redemption. So there's still a coming. God's plan of redemption, it starts with the gospel. It starts with Christ. But you read Romans 8, you read many other scriptures. The plan of redemption is very, very far from complete. That won't be complete until the new earth, and that's what we look forward to. But he has already purchased us. He's purchased us with his blood. We are God's purchased possession. If you are redeemed, you are God's purchased possession. So, okay, when the Holy Spirit, that, but, okay, now jump down to verse 19. Well, actually, let me, yeah. Okay, I'm actually going to start verse uh, verse 17. It says, well, actually, I should start in verse 16, am sorry. Verse sixteen, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul is praying here for the people of Ephesus that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So God is praying, or Paul is praying, that God will give them understanding. Verse nineteen of three things he's going to list three things. So, uh, <clears throat> verse eighteen, sorry, that ye may know what, what is the hope of His calling. Number one, number two. What the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint? And number three, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the mighty working of his power. Okay, and I'm going to focus on the third one first. Is how do we know that this will work, that trusting in Christ will work? Because of the power in Christ that was shown at the resurrection. Read verse 20, let continue on. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in the world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body and the, and, and the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Okay, so this is the power. He's talking about the, so the three things that Paul wants these Christians to know more about, to understand more about their salvation. And the third one here we're going to talk about first is the exceeding greatness of, him, of his power to usward who believe. So if you believe on Jesus Christ, there is an exceeding great power here that is applied to save your soul. It is the same power that rose, that rose Christ, that raised Christ from the dead. Now, think about this. If Christ literally became the curse of the law, if Christ literally became our sin, it became you know, the sin of the whole world, I mean, let's focus just on your sin. Maybe it was just your sin, you know, by this personally. But he became the sin of the whole world. If Christ became your sin, died, paid for your sin, he was dead, and then had enough power to resurrect himself from the curse of your sin, he's already proven he's got enough power to save you. He died in your sins and rose again from the dead. He's got enough power to save you from your sins. And he did that for the sins of the whole world, not just yours. Everybody's sins, all future sins, past sins, everything. God has enough power to save you. That's how you can know this will work. You cannot be bad enough to, for God not to save you. You know why? Because Christ already rose from the dead. He, he took your sin, your terrible sin, that you may think is too bad for God to save he had that, he became that, he died, paid for it, and then raised himself up from the dead. He can do that for you. He can raise you up from the dead as well. There is no one who is too bad uh, to be saved. Now, also, that applies to verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2, where it says, you know, not of yourselves, it is gifts of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, if God, it's not the guy who's saved, uh, or. Anyways, let me see how do I word this. So if, someone, if it's possible for someone to be, sa- to be too bad to be saved, if you have too much sin where God can't save you, that means the guy who can get saved, he's got reason to boast of. Because he was good enough to get saved. So it's impossible for you to be too bad to get saved. Because if you were, someone else could boast that they were good enough. And the Bible says, not of works lest any man should boast. You cannot be bad enough. To not get saved. Christ has enough power to save you. Look at, um, continue on, in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. So we read, look at chapter 2, verse 1. We haven't haven't read this yet. Chapter 2, verse 1, says, And you hath he quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, quicken. Same word as resurrected, as being made alive. That's what that means, being made alive. So you who were dead and trespassing, just as Christ was raised from the dead, you hath he quickened, as he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the cor- the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the earth, so the course of this world that is in rebellion against God. That is what your purpose was. Your purpose, it wasn't the verse 4 purpose of chapter 1 where you were originally created. You were in rebellion against God. You were literally dead in your sins, and all you could do was walk after the course of this world in rebellion against, against God, according to the prince and power of the air. That's Satan. That's the devil. All you could do was live in rebellion against God in obedience to the devil. And now, that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's who you were. You are the children of disobedience to God. God. This is the definition of a lost person right here. This is where you were. But God quickened you, even though you were in this state. It says, among whom also, we all had our conversation in times past. We were all there once. If you are redeemed, this is where you were once. Is it in, in, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we are bound by our sin to the lust of our flesh. All we can do is just mindlessly and hopelessly fulfill the desires of our flesh and of our mind, and go further and further and deeper in sin and in rebellion against God, and we were trapped. We were literally dead. Unable to turn towards God, unable to 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 free ourselves from this situation, but God had enough power to raise us up from the dead. This is where this is the power of God. It doesn't matter how, how far off you are, how bad you are, God has enough power to raise you. It says, but God, verse four, who is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. Why did he do it? Because we don't know why. He just loved us. He didn't have to. He didn't do it for Lucifer and the angels, but he did it for us. He chose to love us. It's unmerited favor. It's mercy. It's God not giving us the wrath that we deserve because he gave it to Christ. For his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Again, it's repeated. We were dead in sin just as Christ was dead in our sins and rose again from the dead, Christ can raise you up, even though you're dead in your sins. And and again, God's grace is emphasized, by grace ye are saved. But there's more. So, if you go back to chapter 1, in verse 20, it says, When he wrought in Christ, that you raised him from the dead. That's the first part. He raised him from the dead, but he didn't stop there. It says, And set him at his own right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power. He sets him in the position of God, you know, at the right hand of God. So Christ didn't just raise up from the dead, but now he has this heavenly position, this tremendous purpose. This is, of course, this is Christ. He is, he is God in the flesh. And so, He's talking about his position there is far above all others, all other names, everything is under his feet. But look at look, back at verse, verse 6 again of Romans 2. It so raised up together. Or verse, we read verse five. We were dead in sins and quickened us. He quickened us together with Christ by grace that he saved. Verse six and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So just as Christ was raised from the dead and set in a heavenly place at the right hand of the Father, like, wait a minute, he's going to apply this to us too, with Christ. He's not going to stop at just giving us. You know salvation from sin and from and from death and from hell he's going to raise us up to heavenly places he's He's restoring our purpose to what we were supposed to do verse seven that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through the through Christ Jesus That's that for all eternity we're going to be. Learning more and more about the exceeding riches of God's grace, God's kindness towards us. That's going to continue. It doesn't. It doesn't end with salvation. It goes on from there, and it's, it's it is unmerited favor. Okay, so I'm I'm wrapping it up now. Kind of a, an application here to what we what we've learned. Okay, one first obvious application. If you are lost, if you have not been redeemed, trust in Christ. Believe in Christ. Don't put that off. You must do that. You have no Hope without that. Do not wait. It's the first obvious application there. Do that. Um, second, if you are saved, if you are part of the redeemed, get on track. You have a purpose to fulfill. Okay, if you are part of the redeemed, then your original purpose, why you're created, to live before God holy and without blame and to be to, uh, that your very existence should display the character and the attributes of God. That is your purpose now. That is why you were created. So let's fulfill it. Ephesians 2.10, which we started off with. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This is God's original purpose for you. Live in the good works, which we defined in the first part of the message. That's you showing others who God is. That's you uh, declaring the glory of God through your life. And we look at a whole lot of scripture. We don't have a lot of time for that, but uh, just kind of summarizing it here. The believer's new nature is created to do good works. Good works is what our purpose is. Good works is walking in holiness without blame before God, in love. These good works would be to the praise of glory of God. They show God's glory. They reflect the attributes of God to others so that others can learn about who God is. Don't go back to the old dead ways. Do good works. We all have that flesh, that temptation that we fight to go back to the way. Do good work. Think about the plan of redemption. You have a purpose in life. This is something that's real. It's much, much bigger than you. This is as big as all of eternity. This is God's eternal plan. Walk in it. Fulfill it. The, the last thing I want to I mention very briefly here. If look back, if, when we read in Ephesians 1, verse, uh, verse 18, Paul I mentioned the three, the three things he wanted them to learn more about um, the gospel. One of these is that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and the riches of the glory of his heritage and the We've looked at the riches of the glory, but the hope of his calling. Think about what we are called to. The Bible tells us we are called to be saints. We are called according to His purpose. We are called by the grace of God. We are called to, to liberty, to walk in the Spirit. We are called to peace. We are called to holiness. We are called by the Gospel. We are called out of darkness into His marvelous light. The grace of God, by the blessed Gospel of Jesus Christ, called us out of darkness into His marvelous light to be a saint, to be holy, to walk in the Spirit, to have the peace of God, to God's purpose. Because I am called by God and I have His purpose, I have light. No more need I stumble in the terror of darkness and sin and despair. No more need I walk in confusion, not knowing what is right or wrong or what I should and shouldn't do. I can be holy. I can be a saint. I have liberty to walk in the Spirit, no longer bound by sin and deadly consequences. I can have God's peace in my heart, my family, my mind, my life. There is so much hope in the calling of God. That is the calling of God that is on your life if you are redeemed. That is your purpose. Know the hope of your calling and strive for it and live for it. Live for God in love because of your love for God. And so with that, I hope we can uh, learn some things about good works here from Ephesians 1 and 2. And uh, and we're going to go ahead and close with that. So, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your love towards us. And uh, Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture we pray that you would help us to apply it to our lives, and, uh, and Lord, we pray that you would. If there's any here that don't know as your Savior that you would work in their hearts, Lord. And we love you, That's in Jesus' name. Now, with heads bowed.